Well, good morning. Uh, if you would, turn to 1 Peter uh, 1. <clears throat> Chapter 1. Verses 3, 4, and 5. First Peter 1, chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Good morning, church. If someone were to ask you right now, please explain to me what the promise of Christianity really is. How would you answer that? Maybe they're saying, I, I get the whole Jesus thing. He died for our sins. Great. We're forgiven. We've made mistakes. We've misstepped. We've disobeyed a creator. Okay, I get that. Um, and when I become a Christian, I, be, I join a church, and I'm in Christ, and that means that I'm no longer guilty but now forgiven. But what's the end game? Where are we going? What's the promise? What's the offer, you might say, in Christianity? What are you, maybe a better way to say it is, hoping for? Why are you here today? What are you hoping for? Are you hoping for lunch right now? T minus 20 minutes, I promise I'll get you there. <laughs> are you hoping for your conscience to feel less guilty? Are you hoping for um, people to make sure you know that you're religious? What are you hoping for in this thing you're doing called Christianity? What's the hope? What's the substance of what you're hoping for it, that at the end of all of this, whether the Lord returns today or you live the remainder of your years invested into what we call Christianity, what's the end goal? What, what are you shooting for? What do you believe will be the result of your time as a Christian? Today we're going to look at the substance of that hope. What exactly does God offer to us that we should look forward to? Because, spoiler alert, forgiveness is the medium by which we get to what he's offering to us. But forgiveness is not actually the end result. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, offering to us forgiveness of our sins, paves the way for what God ultimately wants to give us, what we're going to see today, okay? Everybody good with that? All right, three really simple things. The content of hope, the quality of that hope, and the assurance of that hope. Everybody got the outline? I've already told you what's coming. Now you can settle in and let's learn together. Number one, what is the content of this hope? Look in verse four. Last week I told you we, we, we studied 1 Peter 1 verse 3. We're going to do verses 4 and 5 today. Next week, we're going to do verses 6 through 9. So we're taking three weeks on this text. Look in verse 4, verse, the first part of verse 4. 
He says that he has caused us to be born again in verse 3 to a living hope, a hope that's alive. And this hope comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, what is the hope? Verse 4, to an inheritance. (laughs) I like that word, right? Come on, dad and mom. I really like that word. (laughs) To an inheritance. And Peter means exactly what I'm just joking with you about. That somebody who is not you is laying up and treasuring and has for you to give to you that which you have not earned. Something that's good, something that will bless your life, something that can be life-changing, that you will enjoy dramatically. An inheritance. This is the promise, the content of the Christian hope. But unfortunately, um, Peter here, we've got to dig into what he means by that. Because he's actually using this word in a particular way for us to really make sense of what the promise is of Christianity, what the content of the hope really is. Because inheritance can mean a lot of things, right? When I was five years old, I had a great uncle that lived next door that died, and he left me $100. But while he was living, I didn't know what I was entitled to. I had no idea that was coming to me. I'll never forget, I bought Reebok pumps with that. You guys remember Reebok pumps? <laughs> Before even the Instapump, you know, it was just, you had to like slit it out with your own finger. But wasted $100, but anyway. Um, But I I didn't know what the inheritance was. I just, okay, great, I got something. So, okay, great, Peter tells us we have an inheritance. What is the inheritance? He goes on to describe it. It's imperishable, unspoiled, unfaithful. What is it? Okay, here's the deal. Peter chose this word on purpose. Because remember, Peter, he's born a Jew, was raised a Jew. This word inheritance has a lot of weight in Judaism. It carries a lot of weight to the nation of Israel. It is the word that was used all throughout the Old Testament to describe the promised land that God said to Abraham, I will give your descendants this land. And then Joshua, when he took over from Moses, when he began to conquer this land, it was spoken of as the inheritance of God's people, God's inheritance for his people, the promised land. Well, what does Peter mean? What does he want us to learn by referencing inheritance which was from the Old Testament, a promised land. we got to go back and realize there's two really important aspects to to the inheritance in the Old Testament. Number one is this. It was a beautiful, perfect place. It was a perfect place. So aligned with our inheritance in Christ is there will be a place, a perfect place. When you go and look and trace the Old Testament, you see a lot of really cool stories about this inheritance. When the spies were sent in, in Numbers chapter 13, you remember the ones that, the 12 that went in, 10 came back, they were afraid, two were not afraid, Joshua and Caleb. They came back and they carried one cluster of grapes that required a stick and two guys to carry it because it was that big. And they came back reporting that this land flowed with milk and honey. And there were figs and there were beautiful things and the land was luscious and wonderful. And so this land was promised with luxurious provisions. It was also a place for God's people to have a permanent dwelling. For 40 years they had become God's nation when they received the law of Moses. But they didn't have a permanent dwelling place. They were a nation without a land. How weird is that? That doesn't actually exist. To have a nation but not a land. So this promised land was a permanent dwelling had luxurious provisions. 
And in this promise, Joshua said, this inheritance, this land, will be a place of rest and not war. So it would be a place without enemies. And it was ultimately to be a place where God's people could have intimacy with God. A permanent dwelling, luxurious provisions, no enemies are fighting, and intimacy with God. Sounds pretty good. That's the first part of the promise in Christianity, that you will dwell in a place with all permanence, with luxurious provisions. There will be no enemies, no sin, nothing to take you down, nothing to destroy you. And you will have finally that intimacy with God that we're aching for. But you know, this place wasn't just designed to be land and grass and fields. When God gave Israel his law in in, uh, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, God wanted them to follow this law. He wanted them to obey this law and then enter into this land. If they would just obey every word of God's law, they would not just have a perfect place, but they would be perfect people. If we follow God's law, yes, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, perfectly, you will be the very person that God designed you to be. Now, how many in here, go ahead and raise your hand, have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? (laughs) Some of you babies might be able to raise your hand. That's fine. That's good. None of us, right? But the Ten Commandments, just think about it, ten simple commandments. Don't covet and steal. Don't have any other gods before me. Sabbath, you know, just simple commandments. If we would just keep all ten of them perfectly, we would be the very people that God designed us as the human engineer to be. But we didn't, and they didn't. But the promise of this inheritance that Peter is using here is that you and I will eventually, someday, when Jesus returns, the promise, you can see it further in 2 Peter chapter 3, that says, when the Lord returns on that day, the heavens will be rolled back. And the works of the earth will be brought to the surface. It will be exposed, meaning all the sin. It will be destroyed. And he says, you and I will dwell in a place where righteousness dwells. A perfect place where we are perfect people. The content of the Christian hope is this. I want you to get this summary. That you and I will finally dwell in a perfect place as the perfect people we've always wanted to be, enjoying perfect intimacy with God and each other. Get ready for heaven because we're going to know each other a lot better than we know each other now. That's what heaven is. Full abundance of love in the presence of God. And look how he describes, so that's the content of this hope. Look how he describes the quality of this hope. Four really important qualities. He says this hope is imperishable. That means it's not subject to decay or corruption. You know, even the best of our hopes in this life experience decay. You might place your hopes in your ability to retire at the age of 50 or 60 or 70 or maybe 80, right? You're just hoping to retire someday. But even the best of your hopes, let's say you've got your money in a particular stock and you've got your house that uh, maybe it's paid for, or maybe you've got some other things that are of value. All of those things are subject to some version of decay. They erode. They begin to fall apart. But the first promise of this hope is that it will not erode. It will not corrupt. It will not decay. The second one is this, that it is unspoiled. That means that this hope, 
this place and this people that we're going to finally be when Jesus returns, we're going to become the people that God wants us to be and all of us will be that. It will not have a defect in it. Yes, did you hear that? I know some of us probably don't have a problem believing that heaven, which just means in the presence of God, okay, heaven. That heaven, the place, will be perfect. How many of you are okay with the belief that you will finally be the person without any defect? You know, that's the promise. It says in 1 John 3 that when he comes, Jesus, when he returns, we don't know exactly what we'll be like, but we know this, that we will be like him in all of his perfection. That he will transform, Philippians chapter 3, our lowly body to become like his. See, I think a lot of us are probably okay with the belief that we're going to dwell in some perfect place, some version of an earth, a world where we'll live that is beautiful and perfect and without blemish. But he promises this inheritance, both the place and the people, will be without defect. Now, how many of you in here are hungering for that day? When you'll finally be the person that has both the body imperfections you don't like gone, the personality imperfections that just drive you crazy, that in the quiet, dark moments you know that you don't like, that in your relationship issues and problems will finally be gotten rid of. This place will be unspoiled. Nothing will spoil this place. I can't wait for that. Because I spoil a lot of things. A lot of things. I cannot wait for the day when God finally redeems this old body and mind to be perfect in his presence. That I won't mess anything else up. And I'll get to dwell with that pl- in that place with you. And I'll finally be able to enjoy all of that that God has promised for us. So it's imperishable. It's unspoiled. It's unfading. This is a little bit different than imperishable. It means that it does not just have one season. You see, this is actually one of the uh, downfalls of the things we enjoy in this life now. Because there are actually a lot of divine things that you enjoy. A lot of things that God actually wants you to enjoy in this life that are um, forecasting what heaven will be like. Now, um, this can be things like enjoying a holiday with your family. Um, Some of you may not have family scenarios that allow you to enjoy a holiday with a family. Some of you might. This is just an example that um, my wife's family has really brought me into. I grew up in a small family, like me and my brother, mom and dad. Didn't really have much extended family. Christmas was really boring for us, you know, just sitting there. And I don't know why we did this, but one person at a time had to open a present. We'd stare at that person until they were done opening it. And just really dry and boring. And I get introduced to Lisa's family where... In a room no bigger than the elders' room, there's like 40 people crammed in there in like fleece pajamas, all sweating, and, um, and it's just like, you know, people shred presents, all, and they're just all excited. And there's joy in this place, and there's love. And you know what's unfortunate about that Christmas Eve every night for her family? Is that the night ends. It does end. Thanksgiving with your belly full and the lions on TV getting beat, and you're just relaxing with your family comes to an end vacation comes to an end that first date with the girl that you've been dreaming about has a season to it it comes to an end you see the problem with this life is that it is fading and heaven will be perennial not annual it will not end and finally he says it's imperishable it's unspoiled it will not fade and it is reserved That means it is being guarded 
and protected like a trust fund is being guarded and protected by lawyers and bankers and so on so that you may be blessed when it comes. And this is, he says, for you. Look at the end of verse 4. To an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. What's the last two words? You say it to me. For you. So we have the content of the hope. We have the quality of this hope. But what about the assurance? How do you know it's yours? How do you know the rug won't be pulled out from under you or you'll finally get to the meeting and you'll realize that the lawyer who is opening up the will of God realized, sorry, you were left out. You know, we we ended up giving all the resources over here. What's the assurance? Look in verse 5. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at this last time. You see, the assurance of this hope comes from two things. Number one, being guarded. This is the same phrase that Peter would use and all those people in the first century would use to describe military guarding, a military guard. You know, multiple people standing around on the outside armed to protect, being guarded. But what is guarding it? He says the phrase, by the power of God. By the power of God. Now this is a really important phrase. It's really unique. It's beautiful. It's actually a phrase by the... The power of God is one word, but we just have to expose it in English with multiple words. The power of God is one word. It's actually the word that is saturated all throughout the Gospels. In all the Gospels, you see this, the power of God word coming up, but they don't translate it in the Gospels, the power of God. You know what they translate it as? Miracle. Miracle. You see, here's what he's getting at. This word by the power of God is used in the Gospels when Jesus does something that nobody else in his presence or anywhere else in the world could actually do. They call it a miracle. But what the Gospel writers were saying was when Jesus, by the power of God, by the power of God. And Peter's drawing on that word to say that this beautiful inheritance, this hope of heaven, is guarded by the power of God, by the miracle. By what Jesus does, doing for us what we could not do. This is the essence of the gospel. In fact, this is the exact word that Paul would use in Romans chapter 1 when he said that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And then in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The power of God is guarding this marvelous hope. Are you worried about it? Are you antsy? Do you trust it? The power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is guarding this hope. But let me ask you a question as we kind of wrap this up. What exactly is being guarded? What is God's power right now guarding? Is it heaven? Does heaven have a kind of a fortress, you know, with uh, whatever those towers, watchtowers on the side, and you've got armed angels, you know, and they're kind of pacing back and forth on the wall saying, if Satan's going to try to besiege us, man, we've got this. We, is heaven the thing being guarded right now? Now, here's where you've got to be a very careful Bible reader. Read the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5, and I think you'll get it. The end of verse 4, he says this. That this promise is unfading, kept in heaven, what? For you, comma, verse 5, 
who are being guarded. What's being guarded? Is heaven being guarded? Or are you being guarded? Change your perspective about heaven and your ability to get there. By God's power, you are being guarded. It is by God's power that you are safely protected. It is by God's power that you are carefully and tenderly and gently led home. And he says it's by God's power when you, through faith in that power, have access to be guarded. The only way that Satan can cause you to miss heaven is to convince you of one of two things. He can convince you, number one, that you probably won't make it, and he convinces you to give up. Uh, listen, you're not good enough. You mess up all the time. You sin every day. Look at you. Look at Jesus. Look at you. There's no way you can make it. And when he convinces you that you can't make it, you lose your faith in the power of God, and you give up. So he can convince you that you won't make it, or he can convince you, number two, that it's not worth it. That either you won't make it to heaven, or heaven ain't worth it. And it's by God's power, the gospel, when you meditate on the gospel, when you think about the gospel, when the gospel makes sense to you, that God did for you in Jesus Christ, what you had no capability to accomplish, when you get that, when you understand the depths that he had to go to, the lengths that he went to to save you, as Paul would say, the length, the depth, the breadth, the height, the know the love of God which passes all understanding. When you dwell on that, it has the power to answer both those questions. Number one, will, you won't make it. Well, this belief that you don't have the ability to make it actually goes completely contrary to the gospel. Because when you say, I don't have the ability to make it, who are you thinking about? And by whose power are you getting to heaven? You. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. When you trust in the gospel and believe in the power of God, and when Satan whispers to you, there's no way you can make it, you say, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I will make it because of my faith in the power of God. When I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'll say thank you for your love and your power. And humbly enter into his joy. So that's question number one. When he whispers, you won't make it, tell him, yeah, you're probably right. Not on my own, but by the power of God. And I trust that, not me. But question number two. How does God's power answer this question? It won't be worth it. There's a lot of fear kind of going on in our world today. Uh, the idea of missing out on something. You know, people call it FOMO, fear of missing out. It's kind of the idea that circulates around this idea that we want to make sure that we're in the right place because we don't want to miss out on something better. That's, it's existing in our world today that we don't want to miss out on something better. But you know what determines the place you are being the right place? You know why FOMO is driving people crazy today? You know why the fear of missing out is driving us crazy today? What makes the thing the right place is the right people. Now, in our worst moment, in our worst moments, the right people are people that we believe can do something for us. Give us a business opportunity, maybe get us a job. The right people are the ones that can raise our social standing, make us look cooler. The right people are the ones that might, uh, you know, eradicate our loneliness and maybe be the... In our worst moment... The right people are the ones that we just think can do something for us, and we fear missing out on that. But in our best moments, in our right moments, the right people are the ones who love us most. Agree? 
like I mentioned, a family holiday, when you're with those people that you know love you the most, you're not really worrying about going somewhere else, are you? You're in the right place. When you're on a date with the one that you love, you're not really thinking about, I'd like to be somewhere else because that person's love for you is all you really need. So you don't care if you're at noodles or you don't care if you're at home, but you're, as long as you're with that person that you love, you don't want to be anywhere else. Maybe you're by the bedside of a cherished family member or friend who is close to passing away. And that person's love for you and your love for them, you don't really want to be anywhere else, do you? Because of the love that's shared between those two people. Because when we are with the people who matter most to us, and they matter most to us because of the love we share. Now here's the question, will heaven be worth it? Will heaven be worth it? I don't know all that we'll do. I'm sorry, Eric, I'm not sure about the unicorns, if they'll be there or not, but I'm not sure all that we're going to do in heaven. But I know it's been promised to us that it's going to be perfect. And we're going to be perfect. And in the end, it will not get messed up and it will not be taken from us. But here's what I do know. We will be with the one who has loved us most. You see, all the love that you experience in this life, even its best version, if you've got great parents, you've got a great spouse, you've got great kids, you've got great friends, are all just a small dim of a light of the love that's waiting for you. Because in heaven, even says, we're not married or given in marriage. When we get there, we're going to be so satisfied in the amount of love that he has had for us that we'll just melt into his presence and enjoy each other with all openness. That's heaven. And we are protected and guarded, and we will, with all certainty, be brought safely to this home if you have faith in that power. So how do you obey today? Number one, get acquainted with your hopes. Find out how those hopes can ultimately be satisfied in the promise that God has given to you to heaven. Perfect place and be a perfect person. Every hope in this world is either I want the world to be better or I want to be better. Every one of them. <laughs> Every social cause is I want the world to be better. They, they find their deepest core in heaven. But number two, get this one, okay, and we're done. Examine your faith in God's power, God's love for you. Do you trust it? If you do, you'll be marked by a humble confidence. You'll be marked by peace. You'll have joy that can't be taken by circumstances. You'll find yourself with gratitude and compassion and empathy and patience. But if you find yourself anxious, constantly experiencing self-pity and self-defeating talk, if you're a person that's always struggling with discouragement, maybe feeling judgmental towards other people, resentful, if that, if that describes you, the root cause of that is that you're really not trusting how much you're loved by God. And so you've got to lash out in your frustration and anger. So get, examine your faith in God's power. And if right now you do, don't know if you trust God's power, you're not really sure what it is, his power is his ability to love you unconditionally. And he wants to make that available to anyone who needs it. Now, as we stand and sing, or anytime. Let's stand. Oh,